Welcome back to the 296th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag and MikeFarrellSports.com. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm Matt Perkins. And joining me, a waggle route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Did you know we were playing a Wink T team this week? How, obviously. I mean, why else would I call the waggle? Exactly. We, uh, we, we welcome Greenbrier into Hillwood this week. Uh, that'll be a fun matchup. Looking forward to it, but I'm looking forward to the show even more. So let's get let's get it going. Well, we can't get it going without the third amigo in the second city. A man who has decided to uh, go for a career change, give up teaching, and become a garden hermit. It's our intrepid <laughs> blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook. Hey, I heard some college or so, excuse me, some high school football talk there from coach. Uh, big one in my hometown, Iowa City. We got my alma mater, Iowa City West High. Uh, kind of a plucky young team sitting there at three and one, taking on crosstown rival Iowa. Uh, excuse me, I'm so out of it. City High. They like to think that they're Iowa's high school, but City High. Uh, they are two and two. They were preseason like top ten and. Uh, Kind of struggling, so be an interesting game. Well, uh, coach, I, I think you, your team could use a, a opponent that's struggling right now as well. You guys need to uh, get off the schneid a little um, bit. So yeah, we, we, we uh, Greenbrier has a kid that was offered by Vanderbilt. He's uh, about yeah. six five, two sixty, plays tight end. And yeah. uh, well, I, I hate to do a, a, a Debbie Downer here, but uh, since talking about uh, Iowa City high school football uh one of the members of my high school football team uh greg coleman passed away he uh was one of the leaders in our state he had like five thousand rushing yards back in the day as a prep but uh uh r.i.p to greg coleman and uh you know thoughts for his family right now troubling times Thank you for uh, thank you for mentioning that, Josh. You're and okay. um, our our notes from Sports Illustrated was uh, make the show more depressing. So yes, yeah, th- there it is. Um, and there's no easy transition for this, so um, I'm just gonna get right into it. Uh, we are in fact presented by BetOnline.ag. They are the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events. With first-to-market odds and lines, find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, golf, and most importantly, college football. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting to props, futures, and more. So you head on over to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, bet online where the game starts. All right, guys, um, we are going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, recapping last week, on, like we said uh, in the preview uh, last week, it wasn't the best slate of games. We did get a couple interesting ones. Uh, but where I really actually wanted to start was down on the Plains in Auburn, Coach, because we saw a pretty good game between these two teams last year uh, up at Beaver Stadium. But Penn State went down to Auburn and absolutely blew the doors off of the Tigers. And, uh, Coach, at this point, it, it's all over for Brian Harson, right? Like, I can't imagine that he's even going to last the season. 
Yeah, it's. I find it tough as well. This this Auburn team looked like they, they absolutely quit. I mean, first quarter they were playing a little bit inspired. T.J. Finley looked like a quarterback occasionally um, on on some <laughs> plays, just not two plays in a row. Uh, Owen Owen Papo, uh, one of the hardest hits I've ever seen, uh, just absolutely destroyed Sean Clifford and and. Uh, the ball came popping out. So, I mean, they were motivated early, and I think that's a, a lot due to their home crowd. But that quickly waned. They did the quarterback shuffle. Uh, they brought in Robbie Ashford in what was some god-awful obvious <laughs> running situations. Totally, like, T.J. Finley actually was about to get on a heater, and Brian Harson said, uh, no, you're not, and and pulled him. And then just did the quarterback shuffle for the rest of the game, and they couldn't get anything going. Penn State said, okay, so I guess you guys don't want to win this game. I guess we will, and proceeded to absolutely dominate them uh, from the second quarter on. And Auburn just looked lost. They looked like they had no direction. They looked like they had no fight towards the end of the game. I mean, just everything. You just saw the entire energy of this team and this program just get zapped. And at that moment, you're like, yeah, Brian Harson, he gone. Yeah, I mean, we were stunned by the hire when it happened. We, um, you know, culturally it didn't seem like a fit, no ties to the South, really nothing. And, um, you know, you just saw kind of very blah football a year from them, a year ago from them. And it's like, it, it continues to just be a blah product. The teams that are successful in any conference, but especially the SEC, you can't have this plotting style. Like they all have an identity. We know what Kentucky is. They play uh-huh. like a really physical brand of defense. We know what Georgia's is um, with Stetson Bennett. And now they have a killer offense to go along with that defense. What is Harrison's identity? What, what did Boise state run that we could point to and be like, Oh, that, that's their system. That's what they're doing. And really, it's karmic justice because they teased an orange out. I thought we were going to see some beautiful orange uniforms, and they went scurred. They didn't do it. (laughs) They wore orange face masks. Ooh. How fancy. How How fancy. fancy. Um, One thing that stood out to me from this game, uh, Coach, was, again, Nicholas Singleton, the true freshman running back, second week in a row. Impressive. 10 carries, 124 yards. He had over Very 100 impressive. yards again last week. Big 10 is so deep in young backs, yet here's another guy who is seemingly unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, dude was running with power. Dude was, I mean, it just looked like his instincts were were already there. He ran hard. The team believes in him. I mean, the guy was impressive. And it, it's it's just another one of it's just another one of those Big 10 backs that you're that you look at and go, Okay, yeah, this dude, this dude can play. This dude possibly is. Uh, I mean, he, he looked like a Sunday player uh, playing in playing in Auburn. Will that sustain? I don't know. I hope so. I mean, he was one of the top ranked uh, prep backs in the country last year. So, I mean, he he's got the pedigree there. He's a high four star. Yeah, I think borderline exactly. five star talent. And he showed it. He showed so, it for sure. And, and, and you see why. And yeah. and you see why f- that it really wasn't that big of a deal that they lost Noah Kane to the transfer portal. Um, exactly. So Penn State went on the road and was great uh, at a Power Five school. Uh, ranked Michigan State went on the road to Seattle and laid an egg. Quite frankly, it wasn't even as close as the thirty-nine. I think it was thirty-nine twenty-eight final score uh, yeah. because Washington was the dominant team 
pretty much from the jump in this one, Josh. And my question for you is Michael Penix Jr. back to the same guy we saw tear up the Big Ten in 2020. No, he's not because he's better. <laughs> he's Ooh. putting up better numbers than he ever did at Indiana. I, I got it right here. So um, back in uh, in 2019 uh, was his highest completion percentage year uh, at about 70%, a little bit under, but 10 touchdowns to four interceptions. He, he, he wasn't stellar despite the high completion percentage. Back in 2020, his banner year, 14 touchdowns, four picks, uh, 1,600 yards, 56 completion percentage. Obviously, it was a COVID-shortened season. That's why his totals weren't crazy. Um, and then last year, totally injured. Throw those stats out. This season, he's passing a 66 clip, so matching the 2019 accuracy. Uh, his yards uh, per game are through the roof. His average is over 10 yards uh, per attempt, which is like far and away better than anything he's done in his career. He's already got 10 touchdowns this season, just one pick. Uh, this is better than he ever played at Indiana. And um, anyone who's followed his story and and knows uh, anything about Hoosier football and what he went through with Indiana with multiple injuries, uh, you're rooting for this kid. How can you not? And uh, to steal what Robert Griffin the third said during the game, we got some big Penix energy going on right now. Yeah, we do. Oh, 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 I love that. <laughs> I'm here for that. Yeah, we um, do. Yeah, that that's awesome. And we also learned that Indiana football is absolutely hot garbage this year. They they got crushed by Western Kentucky. But um, yeah, watching Michael. <laughs> they won Penix. the game. <laughs> yeah, they came back just, and won in an overtime, three and zero, baby. That that's getting crushed to me. Um, at one point, I looked at it and I was like, "Man, this thing's over, man." So, um, but yeah, no, I, I might. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Michael <laughs> Penix Jr. was 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 brilliant. I, I thought I'm, I was happy to see that, and uh, you know, I was happy to see them get that big the big Penix injury from this game that really stands out to me. Michigan State zero sacks, zero quarterback hurries and one tackle for a loss it's not gonna cut it their their past defense was abominable well they had year. zero pa- like they had literally like you look and, at that they literally had yeah. zero pass rush and it then was blasphemous. <laughs> and then their, their secondary is all banged up it was uh perfect storm such a cliche but it, it was a whole lot of factors and um Sparty does not have a lot of time to figure it out because uh, they got another good offensive team that they're going to be taking on here in a few hours, a uh, few days actually. In the Gophers, I was going to say that was only a few hours. My yeah. goodness, yeah, yeah, it's one of those uh, <laughs> Wednesday starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when, Wednesday one a.m. Eh. start. Is that eh. when they're going? I, I got to be honest. Baby. I'm a pit. I gotta be honest. I'm a pinch scattered. Uh, I just got home walking the dog. I, I have uh, my notes in front of me, and um, I sloshed a uh, soda on them, so they're kind of smudged. So, well, we're, things are things are going well here in the second. Is, is okay. that is that what you're is that what you're drinking over there? Look like Jägermeister. You're just no, rocking some Jäger. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go for the I, I'm gonna go for the awkward transition coach because if Josh is scattered, I don't even know what word that I would use to describe Miami special teams. <laughs> scattered, um, smothered, and chunked. Uh, uh, yeah, well, the, the, they definitely ha- had some coverage issues, um, as well as uh, two missed field Eight goals, inches. a fumble on a punt return, 
Chunks and just just awful, spicy. just awful uh, special teams play all around to add on to their anemic offense. Um, yes, they're missing their top wide receiver, but one receiver shouldn't w- with Texas A&M down three of their top six or seven defensive backs. They couldn't get anything going. And I don't know, like both teams look bad coach. And so did we actually learn anything about either of these teams that we can use going forward? Well, we learned that uh, it's not necessarily Haynes King, although, I mean, he's not good, but it, it might be the notebook. Right? <laughs> um, we learned that Miami, if they have a chance to come up big, they won't. Uh, we learned that uh, Texas A&M's special teams is truly special. Um, we learned that Devin A-Chain is actually a pretty good running back. Um, we learned that Texas A&M's defense is pretty good, and they can hold their own if they're not on the field for a long period, long periods of time. Um, and we learned that Mario Cristobal is not ready to win in a big road environment yet. Um, and he played, oh, I, I played like an ACC team. I think it's worse than that for Mario Cristobal. He uh, he had to coach just very nice, conservatively. Josh. He had to coach. Well, I won't be. He had to coach very conservatively at Florida International because they didn't have any talent there. So you you play conservative. You don't turn the ball over, and you limit your mistakes. But you also limit your opportunities. And you know what? It it worked somewhat at FIU. Got no to a risk. bowl game. Wanna got to a couple bowl games. Yeah. No risk it. No biscuit. He did the same thing at Oregon. And I know people are going to look at it and they're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. They they won the conference in 2019, 2020. They won a Rose Bowl, appeared in a Fiesta Bowl. Uh, his last, you know, two full seasons there, 19 and 21, a combined 22 and 5. What's the issue? The issue is they continue, and by they, I mean Mario Cristobal, continues to make baffling time management calls baffling offensive decisions his he coached justin herbert did herbert put any of these numbers up at oregon that he does with the chargers no when they were trailing they in late in that texas a&m game they were like running the clock down they were about to punt it and they let all this time run off it's like what are they doing I don't know how he's going to return Miami to any sort of glory when you see what he does. He will improve the product, sure. Um, and when he's got a very, very talented team like he inherited at Oregon, yeah, he can win games, but I don't see it. Yeah, it's going to be a, like, I think we learned that. That's that's another thing we learned. We learned that Mario Cristobal is still the Mario Cristobal at FIU. He hasn't really learned. He we learned that he hasn't learned very much with time management. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Josh. I mean, that's it's just head scratching. And quite frankly, that game put me to sleep. I, mean, I didn't. I didn't, very, I didn't need uh, much help. Was, so what? So what you're saying is Valencian. that is that you didn't uh, stay up to watch Oregon yeah. BYU. Where Oregon, Josh, was pretty dominant, actually, on both sides of the ball. Uh, were you more impressed by their offense or defense in their pretty resolute victory over the highly ranked Cougars? 
Yeah, I, I, w- I was struggling with this one because uh, by the time BYU's offense got going, the game was pretty much over. So you look at those stats and the points, and it, it's easy to say uh, it was all about Oregon's defense and, and they shut down mighty BYU offense. But then you bring in the offensive stats and, and, and let's go to it. We got, uh, how about some nice balance? 227 passing yards, 212 on the ground. You like that balance, uh, 14 of 20 passing. 44 carries. Uh, they ran 66 total plays in this game. Uh, they just completely wore them down. I mean, BYU didn't know what to expect because they were running the ball so well and they were passing the ball so well. Um, I think that scoring in the Pac-12 is still the path to victory. We're seeing USC with that mode. Um, we see Utah have a very high-powered offense now. Uh, the the Pac-12 kind of turning into the old Big 12, and Oregon is uh, positioned very nicely for this arms race. That's an wow. interesting take, Josh, uh, you, that, that you think the, the Pac-12 is becoming an arms race because I see some of these defenses out here, and I'm, I'm getting impressed. And I was impressed. Like, yes, I think you have to take with a grain of salt that BYU is missing Gunnar Robney and uh, Nakua um, at wide receiver, which are their top two wide receivers. But still, like they've been, they've shown that they can produce with pretty yeah. much anyone out there playing receiver. And you know, Oregon, well, I mean, Oregon shut them down. I mean, the four best teams I test wise in the Pac-12. Uh, all due respect to Washington State, who we absolutely love, and Oregon State, who we absolutely love. But the the four best I test wise so far have been USC, uh, Utah, um, Washington, and Oregon. Mm -hmm. And all four of them have incredible quarterbacks and can put up absurd offensive stats. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. Um, Speaking of, quickly, of absurd offensive stats, um, well, well, it was... More offensive, I think, was what we learned about the Nebraska program this week, uh, more so than what we saw on the field with Oklahoma um, beating the brakes off of Nebraska. Forty-nine to fourteen doesn't even do it justice. I mean they they took they took their foot off the brakes halfway through the second quarter. Um, and so my question then, Coach, to you becomes: you know, we heard it came out this week from a cornerback on the team that. The Huskers had only been tagging in practice and not actually tackling and wrapping up since Frost got there. Um, how does that even happen? How, how does that? How is that possible? Well, when you're buddies with the AD for a while and, and he doesn't fire until it becomes glaringly obvious to everyone else in the world that you need to be fired, that kind of thing happens because it's complacency. It's, hey, well, it's a good old boy system here, but it's just... It, it's, <laughs> I, inexcusable and how everyone else went along with this and said, and nobody stood up and said, coach, we need to hit. We need to hit. We need to hit. Like surely somebody would have been a squeaky wheel, but I guess not. And the product shows they are not a physical team. They will not tackle. They will not hit. They are, you know, it, I, I, when I read that, I was like, this is, Either A, this has got to be extremely fake and somebody's just got sour grapes, or B, <laughs> it's worse than we thought. I'm going with B. Well, or C, all of the above. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with all the above. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is the now-fired defensive coordinator who was in charge of that, I, I always butcher his name, Eric Chiander. Chiander. Uh, anyway, he, he's been with Frost since, like, Central Florida. Mm-hmm. They're boys. Brought him over. Total loyalty. And you look at the coaches on the hot seat, look at the coaches that fail to uh, to live up to expectations. Uh, I think exhibit A for about, oh, the last decade has been Jimbo Fisher. What's Jimbo's staff? Uh, all of his like best friends and buddies and hard to have accountability. It's a cold, hard business. Uh, Nick Saban has no trouble letting the letting the pack leave behind a, a bad coach he, he's willing to cut bait um that's what the best do in this business it's a cold business and then on the other end of the extreme you see uh what's happening with Iowa. With, with, <laughs> with, with your team all right um that is gonna wrap up uh week three just any other games you guys want to touch on real quickly before we hit some quick slants josh uh no because my quick slant's a little long I'll, okay. I'll i'll use my time then <laughs> all right coach uh then i'll let you just uh take it off with uh actually i just want to note one thing uh my uh game my favorite game to watch all weekend was purdue syracuse um that, that was, was that God. game was so the fourth quarter of that game, game was uh i just i w- without i mean any real uh, 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 allegiances like i i have very like Quasi allegiance nice to Syracuse. Ref but, ball in that game. Um, there was a lot of ref ball in that game, um, but that was fun. My goodness. Okay, uh, time to hit some quick slants, Coach. Love, you love. are up first. Well, first note about Syracuse. Holy cow! Like I have no allegiances, but I <laughs> finally Dino. Finally, Dino wins a game like that because usually he loses those, or at least since he's been at Syracuse, he he's usually on the wrong end of those. But. Uh, UGA dominating South Carolina. I mean, it was a 24 and a half point spread. So was anybody really surprised? No, but Spencer Rattler, what did we learn about him? Well, he's Spencer Rattler. We learned why <laughs> he got benched Ooh. at Oklahoma. Um, we learned that Stet, we learned that Stetson Bennett is actually his alter ego is Stet Quavius Vic. Um, juke the dude <laughs> out of his shoes. Um, had the tightest fade, tightest of fades. Um, was looking was looking fresh. Um, actually, has uh, displayed a 52 inch vertical on the sideline when they're when when they were it was, game was 45 to nothing, and he's just watching play comes out out of bounds and he jumps to avoid it. I swear, he probably jumped clear over everybody. I think he did a backflip, landed on top of the player, rode it out, cartwheeled off, and then uh, you know, right into uh, right past the water girl and grabbed a water bottle and drank it midair. I, th- I mean, I think he did something like that. Um, I say all that to say that this offense, holy cow, Brock Bowers, as advertised. I mean, he he takes a simple seam route. He got hit about eight yards and took it 70 the rest of the way. Oh, that was juked a guy. He mossed somebody. And the fact that they're doing it, they're doing a trick play where, you know, usually on a trick play reverse, you toss it to your fastest player. They toss it to Brock Bowers, and he scampers in untouched. That shows you something. Um, so he was impressive. Um, this uh, the, the the balance and the uh, the rhythm that this offense got into, they continue to get into. 
is nothing short of impressive. Will they have some bumps down the road? Probably because that's the way the SEC is. I, I don't know if they'll lose on those bumps or if it'll just look like, oh, okay, well, Georgia struggled a little bit this game. But it's sure to come. But impressive nonetheless. Uh, and also, go Big Orange. Syracuse. Let's see. All right, Josh. All right. Well, I, I have a little moosh boosh. I got three things I wanted to run by you. The the first is uh, wait 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. A little moosh what boosh? Is that on the AC? Is that on the ACT? <laughs> a, little, a little what moosh? Did you mean moosh. amuse boosh? Amuse boosh. Amuse boosh. Moosh boosh. Moosh boosh. Get some moosh boosh. Hey coach, let me get a moosh boosh of plays here on defense. Period. Here, let's go. Come on, coach. <laughs> Let's get it. Uh, anyway, we are uh, we're three weeks in for most teams. A few that played uh, week zero might have had four games on their roster. Uh, we're down to just a handful of winless teams. I want to run through them. This is in order of most likely to turn it around and get some wins going. We got Buffalo. Uh, they played Maryland way better than expected. Uh, they lost on a Hail Mary to Holy Cross. Um, and then they played Coastal Carolina really well down on the road. Their remaining schedule includes Bowling Green, uh, Massachusetts, Ohio, Kent State. I'm actually not 100% sure this team still can't make a bowl game if they turn it around in MAC play. Then down in Coach's neck of the woods, we got Georgia State. Uh, they lost to North Carolina by just seven points. They lost to Charlotte by just a lone point. Uh, they still have a very up and down Georgia Southern team. They have Old Dominion, Southern Miss, uh, Louisiana Monroe. Um, th- there are teams there that they can beat. Uh, then we got New Mexico State. Uh, they played Nevada okay. They lost by just seven to uh, their rival UTEP. Uh, Jerry Kill is still a pretty good ball coach, and their remaining schedule includes Hawaii. FIU, a rivalry game with New Mexico, Massachusetts, Lamar, and kind of a weird Liberty team that we're not sure what they have. Uh, The old uh, football power index on ESPN actually has them favored uh, in that that FIU game, I believe. So uh, I think the Aggies will break through. Navy lost 14-7 to to Delaware. They were just spanked by Memphis. They have Tulsa and Temple at home games. Um, other than those two, I'm struggling to see, uh, manageable games on their schedule. And then finally Colorado, they've been killed three times. They host Cal, they host Arizona state. I don't know how they have any wins if they blow those Cal and Arizona state games. Uh, the other one I want to throw at you is Wyoming lost. Um, I've been or Air Force lost to Wyoming. I've been a big Air Force supporter. Um, not excuses, but uh, something that I don't think most people realize about that game is uh, four starters were out for Air Force due to injury, and their practice going into that game was a slightly disturbed. A stomach bug went through the team. Thirty to forty players missed practice that week. <laughs> So uh, don't doubt the Air Force. They're still the best team in the Mountain West. And the last thing I want to throw at you guys, Boys this you is more eight. of a question. Yeah, this is more of a question. Uh, Iowa won the Lightning Bowl versus Nevada. 
Uh, it took seven hours to finish the game. There was four hours of lightning delays. Um, if you're not familiar with the lightning policy for our listeners, uh, when there's a lightning strike, there's a half hour automatic delay. The timer goes. Uh, if there's another lightning strike, the timer restarts. So you could go 29 minutes and 59 seconds. And if there's another lightning strike, boom, you immediately get another half hour. So this is insane. The, it, the game ended like 145 central time. It, like you can't do this. Uh, so I had a solution that I wanted to throw out at you. If the lightning delay happens in the first half, you do the same timer policy, but once it hits the average length of a football game, which is about three hours nowadays, mm, three and a half, you call it, you three call it, yep. it's done. It goes in the book as a no contest. If it happens in the second half, your delay is the amount of time that's been played, not in game time, but in like actual real time. So in the Iowa Nevada case, uh, they had played about 90 minutes or so since kickoff. So they do a 90 minute, same thing with the timer, um, it, you know, keep resetting it. But once it hits 90 minutes, it's done. It's over. The team that's up wins. Now the caveat is if it's a one score game, rain, de uh, lightning delay in the second half, you do the, however much has been played delay plus one hour. So that way your maximum delay is going to be about two, maybe two and a half hours. Um, waiting around for the rest of the game was so stupid. Nevada could not move the ball at all against Iowa. They were shut out. It was stupid. We're supposed to be protecting these players and these athletes and these young men. And we're waiting around four hours to play on a sloppy rain soaked field uh, when Nevada can't move the ball at all. And everyone knew it was going to be shut out. The game was over. Uh, what do you think of my updated lightning policy? And I want to go to coach first because he's the coach. He's probably a little bit more like we got to finish the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a, a, a lot of weather policies I see in high school are you just come back the next day and finish what you started. Um, I know there was a situation like that. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks or three weeks ago now. Second, second game, second week of games in the season, there was a, a big – you know, big weather system that came through. And some teams went ahead and anticipated and moved their game to Thursday. Uh, some people tried to play, got got in significant lightning delays. They came back the next morning to finish the game. I know there was a team that made it to – a lot of teams made it to halftime. Some of them uh, were able to come back the next day and finish. Some people had to play their entire games the next day. Um, I know that's happened to us on, on, on a couple of occasions where – we had to come back on a Saturday to like, we were all ready to go. We had these lightning delays and, and it was going to be the lightning delays were going to total about three hours. So we just got both coaches together and said, okay, we're going to play on Saturday. And we picked the time on Saturday, came back and played. So I, I think just coming back the next day and finishing it or starting it or whatever, whatever the case may be, you just, just finish it and, and go from there. Yeah. I think the logistics of having it all again, the next day, get a little problematic, especially if you're, let's say, Pitt and you share a stadium with 
the Steelers. Um, you know, well, Ste- like Steelers gonna have to wait, man. It's pit football, <laughs> doubleheader, boy. All right. Well, that we are you way come over back at nine a.m. We are way over our quick slants already. CC at brunch. Um, our we are way over our quick slant time already. Um, just want to make such a good one. You got you got a good one, Matt. We got to do yours. Okay, fine. Well, because you play to win the game, Josh, you are actually absolutely killing me right now. Um, <laughs> they didn't even a make lot, it into the may freaking I, may, tunnel. May I? May I? May I? Mother, may I? It happened again. Five years ago. Brett Bielema was fired in the tunnel as he walked off the field for the last time in Fayetteville. And on Saturday, Arizona State did the exact same thing to our Not old friend. He didn't make it to the tunnel, man. He didn't even he make didn't it to the tunnel. Into, on the didn't field. Even make it off the, didn't even make it out of the bounds of, of play. They were inside the lines when they fired him. I mean, he didn't even make it out of the playing field. Well, Coach, why did we play the, the goalpost? Why did we play the game of football? Play to win the game. How did uh, how did Coach Edwards do at uh, winning the game in Arizona? In he didn't twenty six and twenty. He yeah, he's actually not as game. bad as most people think. Um, he well, went. He's had a disastrous last, like finish to last season, and and now I mean it's just it, it's gone. What's, it started what's like this. And then went, what's wrong with all your coaches needing to be fired, and then all your best players transferring? What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. So he w- finishes 26 and 20 overall, 17 and 14 in conference. All things considered, could have been a lot worse, you know, but he, he got off, he got off to a good start. Seven and six, eight and five, his first two seasons, two and two during the COVID year. But then things started to go downhill last year, even though they still finished yeah. eight and five. But the loss to Eastern Michigan this, this weekend uh, was a microcosm of everything that. There was uh, all kind of scandals. There was all kind of stuff happening off the field. I mean, it, it goes more than just on the field performance for him. I mean, he if it wasn't for the off the field stuff, he would have made it to 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 the last game of the season. They would have they would have done the normal. Hey, he's fired, and you know they have a press conference after their last game. But you get embarrassed by Eastern Michigan. You have all the crap that happened um, off the field. It just nah. That you get fired inside the end zone, so you're not you're not even going to make it outside the painted lines. Coach, stop jumping my slant route and let me finish. Sorry, I'm like Darius Slay <laughs> jumping this slant route. So what I was trying to say was that this loss to Eastern Michigan was a microcosm of everything that happened under Herm's watch. They were sloppy. They had nine penalties for 84 yards. Not surprising because this team has become so uh, heavily reliant on the transfer portal. They haven't played together at all. They were bullied up front by a team that all of us had had predicted to finish no better than fourth in the MAC East. Yet the Eagles still managed to run for over 300 yards, six yards per carry in Tempe with Pac-12 reps. That's embarrassing. And that kind of brings us back to this point. Herm Edwards has been embarrassing for the university. His tenure ended in a, one of the most embarrassing ways possible. He leaves behind a program that's been decimated by the portal, coaches well, quitting, and the AD's got to go. Oftentimes, yeah. they they were they had to quit because they would have been fired if they hadn't. Uh, 
But and the, the AD's got to go because uh, the AD and Herm like used to work together. Like he used to be like Herm's manager. It was Herm's it was Herm's agent. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. That's why they. That's why he hired him. So. You hire, anyway, get when you hire an agent as your AD. So okay, we need to get into uh, week four, then, gentlemen. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, we'll start with the big, uh, the Big Ten game of the week: Wisconsin at Ohio State. Uh, Josh, let's keep it simple. I mean, Badgers obviously huge underdogs here in this one at Ohio State. They looked obviously much better against uh, New Mexico State than they had against in their loss to uh, to Washington State at home in Week Two. I mean, what do the Badgers have to do just to keep it close in the horseshoe, Josh? I think there's three things they got to do. The, the first one is really obvious. Um, turnovers. Uh, you can't give Ohio State extra chances. Graham Mertz has been controlling the ball a whole lot better. Um, probably his best stretch of his career so far. He's got to keep that going. Uh, if he does, it'll let Wisconsin be a little bit more balanced Obviously, Ohio State's still going to load the box because that's what you do against Wisconsin. But maybe uh, maybe if you bust a few pass plays, then maybe Ohio State has to rethink that. Uh, second thing they need to do, you got to keep that Ohio State offense off the field. Even if you have a drive stall that ends in a punt, Wisconsin needs to make that a like three- to four-minute drive. Keep the Badger defense fresh, no... 30-second, three-and-outs. That's going to kill you. And the third one, this was special for Jimmy Leonard. Jimmy Leonard's got to find a way to get that defense off the field. Ohio State is third in the country right now on third-down percentage. They are getting over 62% of their third-down conversions. That ain't good. Jimmy Leonard's got to find a way and definitely what I'm doing is I'm popping in that laser disc of what Notre Dame did, and I'm playing that NFL-style cover two. Um, Ohio State really struggled to, uh, to pun intended, crack that nut against Notre Dame. That's three things they can do to keep the game close. I mean, that's going to be close. I mean, that's going to be tough for them to play that shell, especially because uh, starting safety Hunter uh, one of their starting safeties yeah. is out. Hunter Wohler, um, mm-hmm. the true sophomore, and that that's not good. Now they have had Utah transfer Kamoy Leitu step up, and he's actually probably been arguably the best defensive back on the team uh, since he sort of stepped up into that role in the second uh, game of the season. Uh, coach, though, it doesn't even seem to matter who's playing wide receiver for Ohio State anymore. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't play; doesn't matter. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka. Like at, at this point, is Ohio State wide receiver you? I, I mean, I, I guess this year. I, I mean, there's other schools that that you could. Probably I mean, not say just this like year. LSU. I mean, Olave and Wilson last year. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, they've been producing news for a minute. Had a stretch. USC's, USC's had a stretch. Had a stretch. LSU's, stretch. LSU's had a stretch. Um, Iowa's had it though. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, they're. I mean, they got they got some. Uh, Pretty pretty impressive talent there, but for for Wisconsin, what they're going to have to do is just be physical with those guys. I mean, Ohio State is is you know I want to see how they do with a team that's going to hit you right square in the face. 
And, you know, Wisconsin just needs to be that team that just doesn't play scared. And not that I, not that they do, but sometimes, you know, when you go to the horseshoe, teams can and have been intimidated. So we we, we got to see that. Offensively, they got to realize that at some point somebody's got to go, okay, Graham Mertz can't drop back from under center. Let's Let's not try over and over and over again to create a drop back passing game with Graham Mertz. Just do just enough to to keep teams honest when you're under center, um, but let let's not. Yeah, and, and if you're gonna is, if you're gonna drop, it has to be play action. It can't just be yeah. a straight five, no. straight seven step drop. Which because no. he, you know, he can't do that mm-hmm. every time. When, when I watch Wisconsin, every time he does that, he, he just he just goes back. He's not in off his back he, foot. He, he's, he's not, not in rhythm. rhythm. But he takes, out of the shotgun. Face. he takes out of the yeah. shotgun, he's in perfect rhythm. So uh, that that's the key to the game for me is Mertz has to step up and continue to make some of the throws that he was really making against, uh, that he's been making all year, frankly. He's been much improved. His accuracy is way up. It's over 70%. Uh, it was 59% a year ago, uh, That the Josh Allen jump, I like to call it. Uh, so Badgers mm-hmm. have to hope that uh, that one continues. Um I want to head over, though, to the ACC coach because I think one of the games that I'm actually probably going to be most locked in on, besides, obviously, Wisconsin-Ohio State, is this Clemson and Wake Forest matchup. Uh, Sam Hartman, you know, he's back, and he's already dealing for the Deeks, the the reigning ACC champion, Demon Deacons, that is. And if if DJ Uyunglele struggles early, uh, you know, are we seeing Kate Klubnik? And if so, when? Are we talking second quarter, third quarter? Like, how? What does Uyunglele have to do for them to see for us to see Klubnik play really meaningful snaps? I guess Dabo's gonna have to retire. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I don't understand the fascination <laughs> with DJ Uyunglele at this point. I mean, it just it, you know he, he's loyal to a fault, I guess. But Kate Klubnik is obviously, I, I think, is obviously the best quarterback on that roster. And they, if if they, if Clemson wants a chance at winning the ACC, you need to get him in now, and you need to see what he's got and see because I, I, I just, I just don't think you're beating Wake Forest with DJ Ungulale. This this offense just doesn't move with him in the game. I'm sorry to say that DJ Ungulale is a good player. He's just not a fit for Clemson. Could he go somewhere else and be a star? Absolutely. He probably could, but not at Clemson. It's not a fit. And the people calling plays, it's just not, it's just not connecting. The wires aren't, the wires aren't connecting there and you can't really get anything done. So what's going to take, unfortunately it may take an injury to DJ Ungula and I don't wish that upon him, but that's what it may take to get Klubnik in the game or, if Wake Forest and Sam Hartman jump on them early, like maybe let's say four touchdown lead in the in the first first half, maybe maybe you see it. But I think it's going to take a lot, unfortunately, for Clemson. Josh, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I mean, uh, what Coach was saying just is so reminiscent of what some of these coaches get into. It. It's what Kirk Ferentz does. You become loyal to a fault. Um, I mean, you know, Kirby and then you was get guilty kind of, of it. You, yeah. And, and I mean, I think you get you get biased too because in your head, DJ's the number one guy. So he's getting the main number one reps in practice. And then he's tearing it up at practice. And you're like, oh my God, he's he's phenomenal. Why, you know, why is it not translating to the game? It's just not. Like Louisiana Tech hung around in that game. 
for no reason other than Clemson's offense just was sputtering. And I mean, Clemson has a fantastic defense. We know that, but wakes offense is so good that I think they can move the ball almost on anybody. Uh, Uh We'll see if that that's true um, here this week, but this is not a team that you want to have a sputtering offense against because wake has the potential to go three drives, three touchdowns. Wake and then you put up Clemson a big number fans, if you let them. Yeah. You, you know, your Clemson fans looking around going, we're down 21, nothing. And, and DJ's like two of six. Like, what are we doing? Um, two of six for like 12 fascinating games. I know it's a fascinating yeah. game. I'm, it, it's definitely my favorite ACC game of the week. Yeah, it's absolutely the ACC game of the week. And I I would argue that the SEC game of the week has also taken place. Um, you know, In Athens, a, 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 Georgia actually, Kent State? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wish, Coach. No, uh, Florida, Tennessee. Um, oh, my God. That's because be I'm a little concerned about Florida. I mean, they got by USF by the skin of their teeth. USF is coached by Willie Taggart. Like yeah, it, I mean, that, that was not the, that was not a that was not a good look, Coach. Like, what what's going on with Anthony Richardson? Like, who is the real well, Anthony Richardson? Why are we all surprised? I mean, we saw this a, a year ago with Anthony Richardson. He's in, he's inconsistent. We're he's surprised not, because he was so good against Utah, a defense we know to be good. Well, let's let's look at it. He made plays with his legs. Utah couldn't keep up. There were some things. There's some things that Anthony Richardson is great at. And Utah couldn't stop that, and Florida leaned into it. And Florida played some good defense. And Cameron Rising had a chance to win the game. They were on the two-yard line. He threw a pick. Like, we're we're one bad decision away from Florida not winning that game and us completely changing the narrative. The narrative is Anthony Richardson, although he played a brilliant game, it's a roller coaster. And it's like that. It was like that all last season when, when he got in. I mean, the Georgia game, he was dreadful. And then I forget who they played right after. He was really good, and then he was he was just up and down. I mean, that's just what he is. I mean, his cr- completion percentage is right around fifty percent, maybe just just north of that. Um, you know, he just he makes poor decisions, uh, throws throws. The, I, I just don't think, you know, with him and, and a lot of it's just experience. But I think the game is just moving too fast for him, and he can't seem to he can't seem to kind of catch up. I don't think Rattler knows what's going on. Um, I don't think he knows the concepts. Um, and Israel and I talked yeah. about that. I don't think he knows the concept. But like somebody like Anthony Richardson knows the concepts, knows where he wants to go with the ball, just can't seem to get it timed right. And he's off. And it's just going to take some reps. And he's just not ready yet. This Billy Napier team is just not quite there. And we knew that was going to happen because they're so depleted. Dan Mullen did such a poor job recruiting that they ain't got much. And it's showing. No, I think there's a couple pieces also that I want to add to it. I think for the Utah game, we had never seen Anthony Richardson in – Billy Napier's offense. So Utah had right. no tape whatsoever to prepare for that one. They didn't know what to expect and kind of bit them. But Utah wiltered under the, I, the Florida humidity yeah, too. Yeah. But I think maybe late in the Utah game, 
maybe in practice, maybe early second week. I think Anthony is banged up because he is really not running much anymore. They're not calling designed runs for him. He's still scrambling around, but they've stopped really calling design runs as like they did against Utah. And on top of that, his footwork is seems like he's favoring one leg over the other. So I'm curious, in addition to all the stuff coach laid out about his inconsistencies, I, I think there might also be something physical going on as well because I the play calling the play calling Florida had week one against Utah is kind of thrown out the window. I could buy that which all of this bodes horribly for a Tennessee team that is playing really well right now. And I'm sure Tennessee's licking their chops and super excited to blow out Florida. And in classic Tennessee fashion, they will find a way to lose at the buzzer. (laughs) This, this, this is going to be a hell of an atmosphere to do that. And there'll be mustard flying everywhere and Tyler's golf balls <laughs> bouncing off everybody. But I mean, what's Billy Napier going to do in his first true road test here? I mean, we'll see. He's never I, been a head it, coach at Neyland stadium. It's going to be rocking. It's going to be, Nope. It, it, it's going to nope. be pretty intense. It's, it's there. environment in Monroe to say the least. Yeah, no, no it's, it's going to be, it's going to be intense. Uh, game day is going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I, I want to stick in the SEC there, Coach, though. Uh, Arkansas and Texas A&M is the other sort of big game in the conference. Sorry, Kent State, Georgia. Um, sorry Damn. to – I forget. I think it's – who is Alabama? Oh, it's Alabama Vanderbilt. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry Alabama. Um, but uh, Arkansas, Texas A&M, I was surprised, Coach, that – Miami didn't try to run the ball more. I mean, they were relatively successful last week with after we saw how dominant Appalachian State's offensive line was against Texas A&M. Uh, do you expect Arkansas to try to do that same yes. sort of thing and just, you know, yes. mollywop them with those gigantic <laughs> tackles that they have? That's who they are. That's who Arkansas absolutely is. This is why it's a bad matchup for AM. Mm-hmm. Arkansas will definitely do it, and they will definitely do it with their running back and KJ Jefferson. They will definitely rush for a lot of yards if they can. I mean, they're they're gonna. That's what that's what's gonna happen. And and if uh, if A and M can't stay off, if A and M can't keep their offense on the field, it's gonna get worse. And they're gonna actually punch punch things across the goal line that that App State couldn't quite do. Yeah, because they have the extra two hundred pounds of beef on that line. Yeah. And to add to it, you know, Arkansas, God, I'm wondering how intense those practices were because uh, they took on Missouri State, coached by uh, by, by a motorcycle who? enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you have Geico motorcycle uh, insurance? One of the litany of Petrinos running around this sport. Uh, Progressive. And... Uh, I know. Uh, I know. We we try and cover FCS football a little bit on this show, but um, most people probably don't realize Missouri State. Um, basically, the transfer portal. A whole bunch of people went. Oh, Bobby Petrino. He knows how to coach offense. I'm gonna go play there. They had, they had something insane, like twenty 
uh, transfer portal comes in, a bunch of them with experience in Power 5 conferences. So that was not your average Missouri State roster. So you had a, a coach for all of his indiscretions, knows how to coach offense, and um, Arkansas was obviously looking past them. And yet, Arkansas still found a way to win the game. I'm sure Pittman had them incredibly focused and had all their attention because every Arkansas player should have gone, holy crap, we almost spoiled our magical season losing to Missouri State. So bad matchup for Texas A&M, and you're getting an angry Razorback team that I'm sure is licking their lips. Yeah, I mean, Sam Pittman went to the Kirby Smart School of uh, fighting complacency and, and having intense practices <laughs> after a rough week. Um, mm-hmm. You saw Georgia take out their frustrations on uh, on South Carolina after a, I mean, <laughs> 33 to nothing. Uh, Kirby had to invent reasons why it was rough, but the, I'm sure the, the week of practices for South Carolina week was, was pretty, pretty brutal. And, and Sam Pittman is from that same school of coaching, so... Not surprised. Uh, you know, there's you, you know, they probably have physical practices anyway. They probably have super competitive practices anyway. Um, but God Almighty, that offensive line! I, I know Matt, you're an offensive line enthusiast, as am I. Um, it, it's it's so awesome to watch them run the football, man. It's just as it, a it's, fan it's of football, it's it, it's a joy to watch. It's just it, it feels like that's what. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's football at its purest or finest or whatever. I for me, I find it aesthetically pleasing. Um, it's you know, modern smash mouth football. Yeah, I like it. I like it, and I would rather have Pittman as my coach than Jimbo, even if Jimbo's going to bring me the bigger recruits. Well, Jim Jimbo didn't bring the recruits in the booster club. The boosters did. Let's 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 make that clear. Thirty one million dollars to for that recruiting class in IL deals. Pittman's doing it the right way, and those kids absolutely will run through multiple brick walls for for him. And meanwhile, Jimbo's going to try to figure out where the brick wall is because he's going to have his he's going to have his atlas on the sideline. He's going to have the one you know the the one that took up the entire spinny cart thing, and it's like bigger than you are, and like you have to like hold it <laughs> way out, it's like one of those big maps. Like he's gonna like he's gonna, his face is going to be compl- his head's going to be completely covered because he can't find the brick wall that that Sam Pittman's players are running through. <laughs> okay. So then Josh quickly, quickly to you before we move off of this game, who is more likely to win a sec West title first, Texas A&M or Arkansas? I would say Arkansas hands down. I mean, A&M sort of had their chance. Uh, what was it last year when they, they knocked off Alabama, they had the tiebreaker against Bama mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they blew it. I mean, um, I, I just think Jimbo's on his downward trajectory, but I'm also biased. I, I haven't been a Jimbo person in a long time. I, I thought their title at FSU was kind of a fluky, lucky title. I mean, uh, they were certainly a good team, but I, I watching them, it felt like they were never particularly well coached. No, their offense was throw the ball up and hope <laughs> Kelvin Benjamin gets a 50-50 ball. Exactly. And then it get worked. it to Dalvin Cook. It worked. Or give it to Dalvin yeah. Cook, who's the best player in the ACC yeah. that year, yeah. by far, hands down. All right, well, then let's move over uh, to a couple of Pac-12 games that I'm interested in, Josh. The first of these is Oregon-Washington State. Washington State already has very impressive win beating Wisconsin at Camp Randall Stadium. 
Uh, Oregon has one of the toughest losses of the year uh, against Georgia, but they beat BYU pretty handily last weekend, as we talked about earlier. The big difference in those games, the Oregon and BYU game, is we had a completely different Bo Nix show up on each occasion. Who's showing up in Pullman, Josh? Well, this is very clearly the best defense that Oregon has played since that Georgia game. So what did Bo Nix do against Georgia? Not a whole lot. 56.8 completion percentage, 173 yards, zero touchdowns, two picks. Um, So what is so good about Washington State's defense? Um, One thing that I love about it is some really nice second half adjustments. We'll we'll throw out the Colorado State game. The Rams couldn't do diddly squat all game. Uh, But the rivalry game against Idaho, the pesky Idaho Vandals, race out to a 10-0 lead. And you're like, oh, my God, what the hell is going to happen? Washington State shuts them out the second quarter. Nice halftime adjustments, holds them to just seven points, and it was a very late uh, touchdown in that one. In the Wisconsin game, Wisconsin, 14-0 lead at halftime. Matt, you watched that game. How many points did the Badgers get in the second half? Uh, that would be a squad douche. Yeah, a big squad douche. He's that would be zero. zero. Yeah. yeah. Squad so, Is that like yeah. a mamushka? <laughs> it is. So the the Cougars defensive staff, they're coaching really well, making nice adjustments. So even if Bo Nix has a really good first half, the track record so far this season is Washington State will make some nice adjustments. The BYU game, Bo Nix had a nice stat line, but he was only called upon to throw it 18 times. The BYU win was really about the running game doing so well that like it just kind of basically threw BYU's game plan out the window. I I don't see Washington state doing that. I think in terms of talent and personnel, Oregon is the much better team. They're favored in this, uh, but there is definitely things Washington state could do defensively to keep them in this and do kind of like what they did in, in the Wisconsin game, make the timely plays. They had three takeaways against the Badgers. And then also we're kind of discounting um, Washington state's offense. I know against the Badgers, it wasn't the most impressive thing in the world, uh, but Cameron Ward, their sophomore quarterback, he's playing some really nice ball right now. Uh, I wish his, uh, I wish his completion percentage was a, a pinch higher um against uh top 25 teams he, he kind of struggles a little bit in the big games but he's just a sophomore he's had a nice start to the season uh, i think the cougars have a really good chance at pulling this upset if i was to to give it a percentage i would say hey if they played 10 times i think oregon wins six or seven of them and washington state wins three or four so uh, it's much bigger than a puncher's chance there's some really nice stuff the cougars do and they should be Josh, ranked. I, th- I don't know why they're not. They should be. Josh, I thought you were going full miracle on me there. Um, <laughs> they might win nine. T- they might win out of ten times. I might win nine. But, but not, not tonight. Right. <laughs> not tonight. Tonight, 
we play with Oregon. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a puncher's chance. I mean, it's 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 a weird conference. There's some teams that are very very tricky, very sporty. Um, Oregon State's one of them. Washington State is certainly one that I didn't think would be as good as they were. A team that could go into Madison, Wisconsin, and beat Wisconsin, forcing them to to turn the ball over. Although I thought Wisconsin was super predictable in their play calls, I, I don't think there was much. Uh, creativity or not much. Well, uh, and they had over a hundred yards of penalties in that game too. And that didn't help either. Fundamentals, so, maybe. Um, but for Washington state, they're going to have to create turnovers. They're going to have to win special teams. They're going to have to do a lot of things, right? They're not going to have much margin of error. If they're going to beat Oregon, I think Oregon had a perfect game plan against BYU. Don't, I think they had an over-reliance on Bo Nix because they thought, hey, he's played Georgia four times, so let's let's go to him and let's lean on him. And what Oregon uh, failed to realize is that uh, Bo Nix, he doesn't – you lean on him and he, he folds like a cheap suit. They didn't. They obviously didn't watch his t- his games at Auburn versus Georgia when he did the same exact thing. Um, so this, this fast-forward to BYU – he only throws the ball 18 times. That's perfect. Run the ball. Be creative. I thought they kept BYU off balance all night long, um, and I thought uh, they had a great game plan there. And they were they out physical BYU, which is something I was kind of surprised about. But um, Washington State's going to have to out physical Oregon because that is possible. Georgia showed that it, that is possible. So we'll all see. Right. I'm, I'm excited about that game. All right, guys. Well, really quickly, um, as we're out of time for this segment, USC at Oregon State, another one of those tricky, tricky Pac-12 teams. Josh, uh, we've seen this one before. Another upset special, Saturday night in Corvallis. USC is kind of the great unknown right now. Rice, not a terribly strong team. Stanford, one of the worst in the conference. Fresno, their quarterback got hurt. Hayner, so tough to know about that blowout. Uh, on the flip side, Oregon State beat Boise State, beat a full-strength, healthy Hainer Fresno State in Fresno, and then FCS powerhouse Montana State. Um, the thing that's weird about this game, and th- this is a deep-cut analysis, I don't know how many listeners know this, but Oregon State is playing through a renovation. Half their stadium is torn down right now. It seats like... 20 to 30,000. So there's not going to be the largest crowd to ever assemble at Riser Stadium in Corvallis. A um, lot of unknowns with USC. Oregon State's a scrappy game, a scrappy team. It's going to be a fun game, but I think ultimately USC's offense uh, carries them through this upset special. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, any other games before week four? The uh, you guys want to hit on quickly before we move on to our spread formations? I think K-State's yes, going to uh, have a huge bounce back <laughs> game against Oklahoma. They've got to try to... Yeah, they lost to Tulane last week. That was, that was tough. That was Josh bad. mentions Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, just super quick on the Minnesota game. They are traveling to East Lansing. They are road favorites. A lot of questions about the Sparty defense that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, if you haven't seen the Gophers, uh, they're converting, uh, let's see, 77% of their third downs right now. Their defense is incredible. They've given up 17 points total 
on the season. Their offensive line is just destroying people. Uh, they look like the Big Ten version of Arkansas right now. Uh, Mo Ibrahim, totally healthy. He's killing it. And Tanner Morgan, with his old offensive coordinator back, has rediscovered his passing touch. Uh, this Gopher team is for real, and I think they uh, they continue the embarrassment for Michigan that happened out in Seattle. Well, Josh, and you are the uh, you're the guy who picked Minnesota to win the West this year, so uh, you, you got to be feeling pretty good about that. I mean, they had the easiest schedule for it. I thought it would play out very similar to last year, where Iowa was not necessarily the best team, but had the best schedule. Um, Bucky's at Ohio State. Uh, Iowa has Ohio State and Michigan this season. Um, the, the Gophers avoid both those. So, and you know, the Gopher defense. Oh man, so good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, before uh, we get into uh, our uh, spread formations picks for the week, it is time, uh, gentlemen, for us to uh, get into a pop quiz. Uh, so you oh. know what that means. You're going to have to get out your number two pencils, get your Scantron sheets ready. and Can I use uh, this Sharpie? No, that's going to that's gonna break the Scantron <laughs> machine. I'm going to fail everyone. Okay. I'll use my Sharpie. My Sharpie. <laughs> well, Josh, you're talking yeah. about uh, Big Ten West teams. And uh, yeah. one team I don't think is going to win the Big Ten West this year, besides Nebraska, is Northwestern. Um and uh, Josh, no. see who they played this weekend. They played the Southern Illinois Salukis. Yeah, what they happened lost. in that game? Yes, they lost to the Southern Illinois Salukis. The Salukis. They, be- they became the seventh FBS team to lose to an FCS team this season. It's also the second time that Northwestern has lost to an FCS school since 2010. Uh, should they do that one more time, they would become just the ninth school to lose to an FCS team three times or more since 2010. Gentlemen, your pop quiz today. Name the eight schools that have lost to an FCS school three times in the past dozen seasons. Coach, you are going to get to go first. Uh, let's see. Um... Oregon State. Oregon State is actually not a bad call. But you it still hit me with the buzzer. But it's unfortunately, <laughs> it, it, it's, it wasn't a bad guess, but it is still incorrect. Oregon State has lost twice, uh, including in 2013 when they were actually ranked and lost to uh, Eastern Washington 49 to 46. Josh. All right. Well, the three is a stretch, but I'm pretty sure the Cyclones have lost to Northern Iowa twice. So I'm going to say maybe they dropped a third one along the way. Iowa State. That is correct. Iowa State has lost uh, three times uh, in their his, uh, since in the past dozen years, uh, twice to Northern Iowa and once to North Dakota uh, and once to North Dakota State in 2014. Coach. I feel like Kansas. They, I feel like they've lost to North Dakota State a couple times, and I'm I, again. I'm on Josh's token here. I feel like they've dropped one to like North Dakota or some sort of other Missouri Valley Conference team. 
That is correct. Uh, the other Missouri Conference team, Valley Conference team that they've lost to is South Dakota State, uh, as well yeah. as North Dakota State and Nichols State, oh, okay. who they lost to in 2018 Ooh. in a uh, 26 right, nice. to 23 overtime contest. Uh, Josh, you are up. All right. Well, we exhausted my best guess. So uh, I'm just going to go with some of the teams that I know are near the bottom of the standings for all time worst record. Uh, let's go with Florida International. Come on. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. sorry. FIU has lost, tw- <laughs> has lost twice, both times to Bethune Cookman in back to back seasons. Yeah, baby. Ooh, that was a good guess. That was Coach. a good guess. That was a good guess. I, I was going to go power five here, but I'm going to go in the Mountain West mm-hmm. and I'm going to say UNLV has got to. They've got to as, as inept as they've been for years and years and years. They have got to have three FCS losses. That is correct. UNLV has four, in fact. Uh, UNLV yeah. has lost to Eastern Washington, the famous one to Howard, uh, Northern Arizona, and Southern Utah. Nice. All right. Nice. Josh. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with a team that uh, they had a stretch of football where I think they went about one in uh, 99. And that would be Louisiana Monroe. UL Monroe uh, survey says. No. Sorry. No. Uh, Louisiana Monroe um, has, uh, according to my sources, in fact, uh, never lost to a uh, FCS school. On that. At least in the past dozen years. Now, it may have before that, but not within the past dozen years. Uh, coach. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Sam Houston State has has got to, uh, has had to have knocked off a team more than once, uh, the same team more than once. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to look at some of the uh, lower level FBS schools in. Uh, Texas, I'm going to say, uh, actually, Tulsa was really bad at one point, so I'm going to say Tulsa has lost. Nope. And uh, Josh, you have one more guess. I'm going back to the well of just historically awful programs, New Mexico State. Oh. Sorry, Josh. New Mexico State only once to Tarleton State in 2020. Um, then we have run out of time for the game. Uh, you guys, you guys did well. You got uh, Iowa State, Kansas, UNLV uh, schools. We were missing number one in this period. Georgia State lost to FCS schools five times. Um, you you forgot UMass. UMass has lost four times. Uh, also uh, coming in Army. Colorado State and Western Kentucky were the other three you were missing. Oh, so well, my strategy wasn't the the worst then because uh, we would um, eventually got to UMass. <laughs> yeah, if this yeah. was old school uh, legal motion, we'd be here for an hour guessing every single yeah. UMass, UConn, Rutgers. Uh, I, I want to say I want to say Georgia State's like bottom three or four all time winning percentage. So. Mm-hmm. They are gotten there eventually. So, all right, guys. Well, with that, it's time to think of them. We got to move on to uh, spread formations where we pick against the spread. Uh, Another great week for us guys last week. All 
three of us went four and one against the spread to bring our season totals to uh, you guys are both 13 and eight on the season. I'm 15 and six. Um, let's get it cracking uh, with Baylor at Iowa State. Those Cyclones, even though they've lost three times to an FCS school in the past dozen years, they're still two and a half point favorites at home against Baylor over under 46. Uh, and Josh, I believe you're up first. Yeah, I, I've got the Cyclones uh, holding home serve in this one. I've got them covering. The reason for that is uh, Baylor's offense just left a lot to be desired against BYU. And on top of that, uh, Hunter Deckers, the, the new starting quarterback for Iowa State, he is not a gunslinger like Brock Purdy. He is not uh, chucking into triple coverage and one time it works the next time it's a pick six he has just three interceptions on the year he's averaging 74 percent completion percentage uh i really love how he's just taking the reins of this program so i'm gonna go with iowa state coach yeah i'm gonna take iowa state here too i mean i'm just not I mean, I, I've been enamored kind of with Dave Aranda, and I've given him a lot of credit, but this offense just really hasn't shown me anything yet. Maybe they will, but probably not against Iowa State this week. Uh, so I'm taking Cyclones. I don't like either of these teams' offenses, and so I'm taking under 46. I think I think this game could end in both teams. What's in wrong the with teams. Iowa State's offense? Eh, not against Baylor. They put it. Put up 80 points in two of their three games combined. Iowa's got like one of the 10 best defenses in the country, and it was a driving rainstorm. Eh, I'm going with the under. <laughs> Sue me. Right. Sue me. I'm 15 You're and right. six. All right. My turn well, will be I? contacting you. So uh 13 and eight. Okay. So uh speaking of Josh, uh that Iowa defense, uh yeah. This is the, um, I guess, the annual slot bowl, Iowa at Rutgers. Uh, Iowa, seven and a half point favorite at Rutgers, over under 34 and a half combined. 34 and a half. Josh. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm taking the under. <laughs> taking the under, first of all. Uh, can Iowa cover the seven and a half, though? Um, I actually think they can. The offensive line looked way better against Nevada. I think they've figured some stuff out. I think they know their rotation a little bit. And then the the Rutgers perspective, I think there's a good chance Iowa shuts them out because Rutgers offensively has zero identity. They have basically trotted out three different quarterbacks. They still don't know who their best quarterback is. Uh, the two that have attempted the most, here are some terrible stats for Coach. I, I'm sure Coach is going to love these stats. You got Evan Simon, 27 of 40 for 266 yards, two touchdowns, yeah. zero interceptions. Uh, but he's been sacked three times already on the season, and he's not the full-time starter because they're doing this weird quarterback rotation. And then the uh, the highly recruited kid, uh, the person that they thought was going to be the opening day starter and just tear everything up, uh, Gavin Winsett, Wimsat, excuse me, 10 of 23 for 117 yards, one touchdown, two picks, and yet he's also found a way to be sacked two times. Uh, and this is easily 
the toughest defense Rutgers has faced so far this season. Boston College, Wagner, and Temple. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a very real chance Iowa shuts them out. I agree with Josh. It's hard to it's hard to cover. It's hard to win if you can't score. Definitely taking the under on this because there's going to be a lot of defense played and not a lot of offense played. But I think since Iowa's got some things figured out on the offensive line, they can at least run the ball. So uh, they've got that going for them. So I'm I'm actually going to take Iowa here uh, to uh, to not only win but cover. Uh, I'm just going on the under, and that's it. I I mean it, it could end up ten to six. And it could be a dominant 10 to 6, but it still might finish 10 to 6. So I'm going to stick with that. Um, interesting quasi-ACC game. Notre Dame is heading to North Carolina. Uh, preseason top five Notre Dame uh, is now an underdog at North Carolina, who lacks an entire defense. Uh, North Carolina, one and a half point favorite, <laughs> under over under 57 points in this one, Josh. I have no idea who's going to win because Notre Dame has good defense, no offense. Uh, North Carolina is kind of the opposite. Uh, But I am very intrigued by that over because North Carolina always finds themselves in a shootout. Here are their scores so far. Winning against Florida A&M, 56-24. Winning against Appalachian State, 63-61. And winning against Georgia State, 35-28. They're always finding themselves in crazy games. I'm going to take the over. Coach. This is basically a pick 'em, so I'm going to I'm going to take the favorite here North Carolina. They somehow find a way to win. Uh definitely like the over on this. Um but I'm I'm going to take more of uh North Carolina and the one and a half because basically all they got to do just, just like Al Davis just win baby. Just win. Yeah, I, Drake May is so good. Uh, Drake May is so so good, and I'm I've been I've been super impressed with him uh, so far. The freshman quarterback at North Carolina. So um, I'm going to. With that being said, I'm just going to take the over though. I to me that feels like the safer bet than taking North Carolina. Um, so I'm going to take the over. Uh, TCU uh, is a one and a half a short favorite um, against SMU um, in uh, in the Iron Skillet. Uh, over under here, Josh, 70 and a half, 70 and a half. Um, we're going to see, uh, SMU get to get revenge on their former coach who, uh, bolted uh, to go across town or I should say to the next town over. Uh, so, uh, Josh, <laughs> what side are you on here? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a fun one because you have, uh, a home underdog that I really like. I think they can win this game. Uh, SMU, it might be recency bias, but I they did some really nice stuff against Maryland. Um, so I, I'm taking the ponies to win, part of which is because uh, TCU, you, you want to hear a murder's row? Uh, Coach, your high school team needs a win. TCU so far, they've played just two games. At Colorado, the worst Power 5 team in the country, and Tarleton. And then they were off because uh, they were so stressed from playing Colorado and Tarleton. They've played no one. SMU has already played a Big Ten team. 
they played a North Texas team who is kind of like not the worst thing in the world. Um, they're getting a lot of stuff from Tanner Mordecai. And then lastly, it's SMU, home of Craig James. So who do they have? They have the all-white running back. Their leading rusher is TJ McDaniel. He is as pasty as I am. So the Craig James special, give me the ponies. <laughs> I have no idea who I want to pick in this game. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. Um, this game is... <laughs> This is a head scratcher for me. Um, so I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take SMU. Why? Because TCU has not been, they've not been tested. So there you go. TCU coached most of the guys who are on SMU's current roster. They, there's a, I don't know. I mean, this could, I can see why the over under is 7.5, but like, I just, I can't bet an over that's at 70. So I'm going to go under, I'm going to take the under here um, just because 70.5 is just too ridiculous a score. So I'm going to uh, go with the under. And uh, it's been officially determined that Colorado is, in fact, uh, the worst of the Power Five schools. So they are now finishing out our spread formations every week. Uh, this week, they host UCLA, who is a 21 and a half point favorite on the road at Folsom field uh, against the Buffaloes and the over under is 57, Josh. Okay. I know a lot of people are going to say UCLA should have lost to South Alabama. What were they doing? Why were they sleepwalking through that game? South Alabama is a team that we thought could maybe do a little bit of stuff in the fun belt. I know you kind of like them coach or uh, Matt, you like, yeah, them. I was, I was very um, high on them coming yeah. into the season. Um, I, I think they're a, a lock for a bowl. I think they've got four more wins on their schedule. Colorado though is without a doubt the worst team I've ever seen. Um, this is not hyperbole. I watched the Minnesota game because I run a big 10 blog. I need to, I need to know what they're doing. Uh, Colorado plays two quarterbacks because they're trying to figure out their starter and both are awful. Uh, I ran some hilariously awful stats for coach earlier. We're going to do the exact same bit again, because these are some sad, sad stats. We got JT shrout 22 of 55 for 232 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and he has found a way to be sacked four times. And then Brendan Lewis, 15 of 24, for 92 yards, that's a three-point yard average, and he has thrown no touchdowns or interceptions. They don't have a quarterback. They are terrible. The last time UCLA played a team as bad as Colorado is when they played Bowling Green, and they beat them 45-17. The Bruins cover. They're going to win by, like, five touchdowns. Coach? Wow. Uh, I have to follow Josh every time. This is not good. Um, This this is not a very hard uh, pick to make here. I think UCLA, for uh, for all 20 people in the stands, are going to blow Colorado out of the water. Yeah. Uh, And and the dozens of fans are going to be excited about it. Well, no, they're not going to be excited about it because, well, no, because they're, they're, they're at Colorado. They're going to be stoned. 
So let's face it. I mean, they're, they're not <laughs> even going to know that. Football Here's game a more interesting happened. hypothetical. If Colorado played Geoff Collins and Georgia Tech, I think Tech would win by 14. And I think Duke would beat, I think Duke would beat them by 21. Ooh. Hey, Duke's Ooh, a legit bold. team. Duke's yeah, they are. Mike Elko has them going in the right direction. Oh. Which yeah. is a scary uh, thought. Sp- speaking of, why don't we pick that? Why don't we pick that game as a bonus? The Kansas game? Rock Chuck Jayhawk. Yeah. Can't, I don't, I don't have gone to this game. Seriously. I don't, I don't have the line in front of yeah. me. It's, it's Duke minus at Kansas. Nine. Duke favored. I mean, a Kansas favored at home. By nine? Kansas favored. Yeah. By nine. Yeah. I have Rock Chalk. Rock Chalk, baby. They should play the. They should play yeah. this game on a aircraft carrier. Yeah, it would be appropriate. College basketball, college, college basketball fans will find that one funny. Yeah. College football fans are like, "What the hell is what he is talking?" Happening? No, no. Uh, what was it? I think Michigan State was it. Michigan State, Kansas. I, I know Michigan State was one of the teams. Yeah, North involved. Carolina. So the winner State, of the, North Carolina. The winner of the Duke Kansas game has to be ranked. Both of them have played worthy of a ranking, especially Kansas. They've got one of the nation's leading offenses. They are. So in sync on that side of the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it then here for us uh, today, gentlemen. Um, So uh, until next time, on behalf uh, of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is Matt Perkins in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Rock Chuck Jayhawk. That game's only seven and a half now. Oh, yeah. Rock Chuck, baby, all the way. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.